Today's episode is brought to you by Whirlwind Bags, a lovely new line of functional, high-quality, and stylish diaper bags designed to make your life easier while making you look good. Go to motherbirth.co slash whirlwind to shop. Now let's dive in. I had because uh, Goldie was, you know, deformed. I mean, it was painful to look at her pictures, and I, my friends didn't even want to see the pictures. And it was like, but I want to share her with the world, you know? We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts, Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. Laura and I are here with a special guest down in Nashville, Tennessee. Her name is Krista Black Gifford, and Krista is going to be sharing her story with us today. Um, We do want to give you fair warning that this is a story that includes infant loss, and if you want to, feel free to opt out of listening to this episode if that's something that's going to be difficult for you to hear. So um, Krista, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we will get into your story? Sure. I, um, I am a native Texan, which is very mm-hmm. important because it means I eat a lot of meat. It's sacrilegious yes. to be a Texan and not eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> I am very tall. I love um, a good dance party. And I'm married to an amazing man named Lucas. And I have uh, four beautiful children. And three of them are with us alive. And... Uh, Moses just started kindergarten, and Birdie's two, Loxley's ten months this week, and I spend my days writing and creating online courses and Insta blogs and content that um, doesn't alleviate pain because we're always going to have pain in life. But mm-hmm. I help people alleviate their suffering, okay, and releasing trauma and in the heart and the mind. Okay. Well, that's a, I love that distinction because that's something that we talk about a lot with birth as well, which the, the, the difference between pain and suffering and how, you know, pain is inevitable and suffering, you know, is, does, does not need to be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's, that's beautiful that we're, we're coming from that same understanding on, on that piece. So Krista, you want to tell us a little bit about your journey to being a mother? I know you have several kids, like you've mentioned, and, and like we've already mentioned on the show as well, that you have experienced a loss. Um, do you want to kind of start at the beginning with your, you know, with your older kids? Yeah, I, uh, I got pregnant with Moses. I was 34, and um, I hate pain. I, I was the kind of girl that would cry at a paper cut, and so for mm-hmm. me to actually um, choose and want to have a natural childbirth was just very strange and a miracle from God. Um, but Mm -hmm. I just, I really wanted to, um, understand that part of being a woman in a very full capacity. And there was just Mm -hmm. something in me that I felt kind of like it was a rite of passage that I wanted to embark on and understand. And so I had, um, there's, I've had every kind of childbirth you can have. So with Mm -hmm. Moses, I did the midwives at Vanderbilt, so it's a hospital ward for midwives. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I had the hospital care with the midwife, and then um, with Goldie, uh, 
two years later, I got pregnant with um, a beautiful little girl and went the total hippie approach, no ultrasounds, total midwife, I'm going to have a home birth. And um, we had no idea that she was anencephalic. And that is, um, you know, your, your brain and your skull don't form. It's a um, neurotube defect where some mm-hmm. liquid gets in. And so we were shocked. We had no idea. And that was a home birth. And then I needed a little bit of support. Well, I, w- I was going to have more support the next time and do it in a birthing center. But then Birdie came and she mm-hmm. came. I got pregnant with Birdie and she came nine weeks early and was in the NICU for five weeks. Oh, wow. And so I had her in a hospital. And then with my last birth, it was kind of the one that I had always wanted. And I had a beautiful birth in a birthing center here in Nashville with Loxley and it just was everything that I had always wanted childbirth to be and finally kind of got my 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 flagship birth at the very end yeah Mm -hmm. so you're done now having kids oh yeah mama's mama's done I'm turning 40 this year (laughs) I'm close for business (laughs) you've it sounds like you really have had every pretty much every possible variation Every variation, yes. Yeah. So what about your first birth and, and your experience of that want, led you to being open to something like a home birth? I watched a documentary, uh, The Business of Being Born, mm-hmm. and that was very pivotal for me because the only, um, the only education I had about childbirth was on t- a TV or movies, and it was you're screaming the whole time and you want to kill your husband. And so I... <laughs> I had no idea there was another way and yeah. that um, I remember watching that and just crying going wow this could actually be a beautiful very spiritual experience and not I want to just you know hate my life and so I was on a mission to find out what that meant so that was very important to me and kind of the integration of all of the choices that I made even when I was in the hospital with Birdie you know, nine weeks early, I was in a hospital and they kept coming in. Do you want the Pitocin? Are you ready for the drugs? No, I'm Mm going to do this. I've done it twice before. I can do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So you had that sort of transformational discovery, I guess we could call it. And you knew that you wanted to have something different than what had been, you know, these images that had been presented to you about birth. And I remember reading something about that during your pregnancy with your first with Moses that you had had some kind of some kind of screening or you know monitoring scare that actually was part of why you chose you know not to do ultrasounds in your in your second pregnancy with Goldie. Is that am I on the right track there? Yeah, yeah. We had um, we had checked him out. I think I was at the thirty six week mark. Mm-hmm. And we'd gone in, you know, we had the midwives of Vanderbilt, but we still had a few ultrasounds and we went in and his head was measuring at um, 30 weeks and his body was measuring at 29 weeks. And so they were so concerned because Mm -hmm. they thought, you know, something's wrong with the umbilical cord. He's not getting the nourishment that he needs. And Mm -hmm. they wanted, I mean, we went to like the scary zone. They were going to put me on bed rest and monitor me and um, you know, maybe have to bring him out. I mean, all these scenarios and I'm a very spiritual person. Um, I don't do anything without, you know, a lot of times I lived in anxiety most of my life and 
So when I get kind of an external report of, hey, here's a fact, I usually go internally and I connect with, you know, who I think is God. And (laughs) there's a lot of names, Santa, Mm -hmm. no, Uh, you know, whatever (laughs) your spiritual path is. And I heard very clearly, he is fine. And, and I felt a very like shaking in my core. And I told my husband, I said, I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but he's fine. He's totally fine. And we were scheduled to go in and and get an ultrasound the very next day. And I was very peaceful. I had found my peace internally. I wasn't going to be shaken. And we were laughing and ultrasound and the lady, the ultrasound tech said, I don't know what happened between today and yesterday, but this baby, he is fine. And she used those exact words and we just laughed and his head and his body had all caught up and they were measuring at 36 weeks. Yeah. I, I think that that is very common for people is, you know, this kind of idea where there's information that we can gather now by doing these tests or these exams and we interpret them, but just like Mm -hmm. anything, there's interpretation. And so it sometimes can kind of raise those flags or like you said, kind of initiate all these events and it's hard to know when it's you, who to listen to. It's almost like your intuition was telling you something different than the data. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so you kind of have knew. to make that decision. <laughs> and you have to make that decision. You have to say like, okay, this is what my intuition is telling me. We'll kind of take it as we go. And right. there's something really empowering about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for you, that didn't look like saying we're not going back for the second ultrasound. It just meant going into that, knowing that you had this, like you said, this piece that, that it was going to be fine. Um, and it, and so interesting that like, it wasn't, you know, just, you know, a different doctor or a different opinion or, you know, you know, a, a bunch of time had passed and things caught up. It's really like, so, you know, one day to the next, these measurements look totally different. And I'm sure that felt like a very miraculous and, yes. and kind of, you know, special discovery. Yes. It was a very beautiful moment. Yeah, for sure. And so you were 36 weeks ish then? I was 36 weeks then. Yeah. And so then we did, we did, we decided let's not do the ultrasound route and, and, you know, have all this fear Mm-hmm. on our next child. Let's just, you know, do total home birth. The lady we were living out in California and the midwife in Ventura, she's delivered thousands of babies. She wrote the midwifery handbook. She's been put in prison for being a midwife. You know, she oh, is wow. like the most granola, wonderful, beautiful, like goddess soul you've ever met. Mm. And so we felt very safe with her, but I fell off the whole pregnancy. You did off totally off and even at the very ending I remember it was about three days before she was born and I was standing in the kitchen and I said Lucas you know we both felt something was off and we didn't know we were like down syndrome you know we don't I didn't know a lot of I didn't know a lot of conditions I'd never even heard of anencephaly when she Mm -hmm. came out of my womb um Mm -hmm. and but we just felt like something was off. And, and he said, should we go get an ultrasound? I said, at this point, what's it going to do? I'm going to enjoy this time with my daughter. And then three days yeah. passed and she came and she lived for 40 minutes. Um, I had her and, you know, she came out in one. I was trying to hold her in because my husband wasn't in the room. Nobody was in the room. I was in my parents' guest bathroom in Texas. And we called the midwife. I was trying to hold her in 
but of course, because she didn't have her skull, my body just pushed her out in one contraction. Mm -hmm. And I stood up, caught her. Lucas ran around the corner as her body came out, slid under me. We both caught her. And then when we pulled her up, you know, we saw. And she lived for 40 beautiful minutes. You know, we didn't have a clue what was going on. And every emotion that you could possibly have goes through your body. You know, is she alive? I mean, she was very rigid. Um, And is she alive? Is she dead? If she is alive, is she deformed? Is she ever going to smile? I mean, you literally have every emotion. And our midwife put her um, stethoscope on her heartbeat. She said she has a heartbeat. And it was the best Mm. news I've ever heard in my life. And then we felt her little spirit leave. And she lived for 40 minutes. And it was... Mm the most painful and beautiful moments of my life. Yeah. So while you were in labor, did you continue to have that feeling that something was just not quite right? Was there, were there any like signs like, you know, was, was your midwife using a Doppler and having any indications that something was off or was it just like that moment where she was born and, and you know, there, there was just no, nothing that knew that you knew other than that feeling that you'd been having yeah there was nothing I mean in labor I was just excited to meet my daughter you know you're the pain comes and and you're like oh wow I I forgot how intense it is let's let's do this Mm -hmm. you know um and and so I was very you know focused on labor and focused on being present rolling into the pain and doing all my meditations like I'd practiced and um I was just kind of you know, I was in labor. So that's, I wasn't thinking about, is there anything wrong? Is there any fear? There was no time for fear. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so you said your husband was there with you and he was there, caught caught her with you. And how do you feel those moments were like for him? Oh, you know, we, we both have processed so differently. It's been about three and a half years and I'm a very external processor. I process my pain publicly. I let's get it all out. You know, I'm, I'm a woman and he went internally. Um, Mm. and at that point, a part of his heart really shut down for that year because as a man, he felt like I need to be strong for my wife. Mm -hmm. I need to be strong for our family. And when you do that, you know, he would say, I'm using his words, but you don't allow yourself to be what you need in order for you to heal because no one's strong in those moments. And, and you, you know, we, we would go back and forth with, you know, being there, like you be the strong one today. I could be the strong, but he really felt like, no, I just need to be strong. And I feel like men are really left out of the grieving process so many times with infant and childbirth and Mm -hmm. they they feel like well I didn't have the child I didn't carry the child and I watched my husband suffer for a year because Mm -hmm. of you know just kind of the societal or nobody tells you that but you know just that I need to be strong I need to be the strong one for my wife her body's still healing and and yet we really need to to look at men and they lose their children too yeah and I think I can really have a lot of compassion for that I think a lot of texts you read or people who share their own experience the partner tends to have most of their connection postpartum so they don't they don't have sensory memories of their child they don't have physical memories 
of holding and sharing space and intimacy that comes with gestation. And so it makes sense like you're sharing that there's a disconnect where he kind of has to have a construction of that intimacy, a construction of that connection and the loss all in the same moments. And I feel like that would be difficult for anybody. Absolutely. It's so very true. That's very much what my experience and and my husband's experience of loss has been too. And I think, you know, I think it's, it's important and valuable to recognize that different people process loss differently and it's Mm -hmm. okay for some people to process more internally and okay for some to process more externally, but you're absolutely right that there's so much expectation Mm -hmm. and in our culture that, that men are, that they do just be strong and that they don't have these, you know, really strong or emotional or visible, you know, expressions of, of their grief and, and they're just not comfortable with it. You know, I think, you know, Krista, you may know a little bit of our story. I don't know if you do or not, but we had a stillbirth a few years ago, almost right around the same time that you did. And, Mm -hmm. and of course we had no idea until it was happening. And, you know, it was, it was a similar situation. Um, and, and we, we found that afterwards, and I'm curious to hear from you how you felt that this year that you're describing, how it affected your relationship, because we found that in the initial weeks after our son was born, that we were, we felt like the closest we'd ever felt. And we were so there for each other and so present and so connected. And then those initial weeks, you know, were kind of over. And then it was like, we've, we, grew further apart than we'd ever been you know we we had this like extremely volatile period of like extreme intimacy and then extreme disconnection so I'm curious like as you're watching your husband over the course of this year like you mentioned what how how did that impact your relationship how did you guys communicate how did you work through that well we did have the you know I felt like we were there for each other closer than ever before um Mm -hmm. season for sure Um, but we, we didn't have like the volatile, um, where it got really bad. And I think that's because, uh, I had been doing so much. We both had, we, our marriage was falling apart before we actually, um, had her. It was a mess that year Mm -hmm. beforehand was the worst year of our marriage. And, Um, we had started getting a lot of deep healing from the wounds that were hurting one another. And so when Goldie died, I had the tools to go internally and in my pain, connect deeper to love and to source and to God, um, than I had ever done before. And so I was Mm. thriving in health. And it was, I almost felt guilty because, and that's what my book is about. um, Just rolling into that hell to find that place of connection and using the pain, not, you know, I would always, when I would find, I would feel pain and I would run or I'd numb or I'd eat or I'd drink or I'd, you know, shop, sex, whatever it is to numb. And this time I went, none of that. I'm rolling into this pain and I am finding you, God. I'm finding healing in the middle of it. And Mm. Lucas, I could tell he was on his own path. And I, you know, I just, it it was kind of like we were in such, our hearts had been blown to bits that it was like, babe, you do you. I got to do me. Like, I can't, I can't be 
you know, it was our marriage wasn't bad. It was just like, okay, you're processing this in a different way. And I'm, I'm processing it and finding deep, deep healing. And he, you know, I was worried for a while. I thought, are you ever gonna, you know, not father her out of this place of pain? He held onto that pain because it was the only way he knew how to father her and be connected to her. But in an instant, he got it like a year later and he caught right back up to me. So I just kind of had to release expectation of his process and my process and go, you know, you do you, boo, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and especially for our son and we'll get there. Yeah. How old was your son when Goldie was born? He was two and okay. Moses is very emotionally intelligent and has a deep understanding. He was very verbal. Um, a beautiful thing about that, I think, I mean, none of my girls have wanted to nurse they, they get so bored about 10 months and I'm like, really, I'm not ready to be done. And, and yet Moses, I mean, he'd still be on the boob if I let him and he's five years old, like the boy just loved to nurse. And what was beautifully healing is that I had weaned him a couple months before Goldie was born because I thought, well, I don't want you to hate her, that that's your territory, you know? And, and when all of your milk comes in and you're engorged and you're in, you're in physical pain, but then, you know, you're in emotional pain. It was so healing because I said, buddy, you want to nurse again? He said, yes. And so I got to nurse him and connect with him and in that way again. And it was very healing to my, to my process. Wow. I mean, I am like sitting here and like, I'm actually like weeping hearing that because I have actually never heard that, that story of, you know, that part of healing. And, you know, I've, had my milk come in after my son was born and Mm -hmm. that was one of the most difficult emotionally and physically things I've ever been through in my life and I was also like you're describing I was committed to leaning into that pain and to you know to experiencing it and and as as much as there were so many moments where it felt like my body was betraying me and all of these things I also felt like this is my body trying to remember my son mm-hmm. and and I was able to reframe it that way you know but to to be able to share that with another human being because that's maybe one of the most isolating yes. parts of the experience for me it was anyways it's like no one else can be in this with me like no one else you know everybody's sad about the baby being gone but nobody else has to like deal with this milk situation and, and it's know? so painful it's so painful um yeah I, 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 it was a gift that he was How? ready to go and <laughs> so yeah. excited about it. <laughs> How long did you nurse him for after? Oh, I mean, probably at least two and a half. Um, and I just thought, well, buddy, you're just going to be so healthy. You get two rounds of colostrum and you've got, you know, <laughs> you're just set up for life. Uh, yeah, I nursed him for a long time and it really, probably two and a half. Yeah. Which was a really beautiful time in my healing yeah 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 and I, you know I don't know that that would work for every for every woman right. by any means but it's such such a beautiful example of how you were I mean this comes back to that intuition like you just you were able to look inside and say this would this would be healing to me you yeah know, this and if my son's up for it like let's let's, let's give go. it a try you know you know I had a friend she lost her her son this year and 
I said, you know, your milk's going to come in. It's going to be super painful. You might look at um, remembering him by and helping kind of wean your milk supply by donating it to uh, like mm-hmm. a local bank and in his honor. And and that was very healing for her to every day connect with her body in that way and yeah. to remember him. And it was like an honor to give life to somebody else in his name. Yeah. I think that's such a hard thing to transition when you have loss because you have physical things that continue to happen. So you don't, it's not like it happens, everything else in life shuts down and then you get this season. No. You know, for most people, not only is it not realistic for life, but you know, I've had friends with loss and it's like, well, now I, do I just not take maternity leave? Like I don't have a baby. Do I go back to work? How do I, you know, like Melissa addressed, how do I stop my milk supply? But I think it's so vital, obviously, that you take time to do physical healing. You were pregnant. You delivered a baby. You had this experience. But I think some people think, oh, well, all of that's because you have an infant to care for. And it's harder Mm -hmm. to make space to care for yourself. And depending on where you work and what their support of that is, they might have the same outlook. Well, you don't have a baby to take care of so you need to come back to work if you don't have this allowance for leave and then how do you begin to grieve in a public forum where you're expected to perform or to be normal to some extent and I just think that's such a missed part of our society and community and I'm I know that you are passionate about this Krista and not being a community that knows how to grieve with people and let people have that space. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm all for loving on yourself as long as you need. And we definitely are mm-hmm. in a culture where that scene is selfish or, you know, I should be over this by now. You know, it's been a few months. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Oh, nope, not, not yet. It's, I put no end date on my grieving, grieving. And I just went, I'm going to be mm-hmm. with myself yeah. every day. And I'm not going to abandon myself and my pain. And um, I'm, I'm with I'm with myself for the long haul. And I think, you know, people, mm-hmm. the hardest part is, you know, I was just thinking today how I was changing Birdie's diaper. And I'm like, wow, I haven't even thought of the victims at her, of Hurricane Harvey in like a couple days. Because it's not mm-hmm. my life. And people do that with your death. They go... Well, I haven't thought about, I mean, my life has gone on and so it's only been a month. Mm -hmm. It's only been two months. So why are you still sad? You know, why are you still crying at Starbucks when a mom with a baby walks in? And I think there's a lot to be said for having a lot of compassion for yourself, whatever you need for however long you need. And there's a place to get, you know, people do get stuck in the despair of it. Um, and that gets dangerous, but the grieving, the sadness, the going into the sadness is very important for it to actually even energetically leave your body so that it won't affect your future children and your future pregnancies. That was a huge goal for me to go, I have got to get this out of the cellular level of my body because I do not want it to affect my next pregnancy where I am in constant fear. And that was my goal in my grieving process. Hmm. Well, I think so much of the time you describe like people getting stuck and and I see that all the time too now in in the conversations that I have with women who have experienced loss. I think a lot of times you get stuck because you don't actually open yourself up to grief. And when you allow yourself and you allow that grief to kind of 
in in a lot of ways permeate your entire being and allow it to become like you become the grief and the grief becomes you at, at least for a season if you actually allow that to happen it's it's transformational and then you are able to it doesn't mean you move on or you forget or you package it up or anything like that but it does allow you to to kind of exp- like integrate that into who you are and then find a new way of moving forward. I mean, I just found Goldie's clothes last night. I was cleaning out the girls, um, summer clothes and I pulled out literally the only, I mean, we have her ashes, but it's, it's the, the outfit that we put her in and the hat and there's a little bit of blood on the hat and a little bit of blood on the the pajamas. And I just inhaled Mm. them, you know, and it was just this moment. Lucas came in and Moses, my son, and, and we all had a hug because we were all there. We were like, let's put them on the inside of us and just remember Goldie for a second. And it was a moment of continuing the grief three and a half years later with our son. Yes. And letting her be yeah. a part of, we talk about her all the time. You know, we ha- I have four children and you guys have a sister, you know, Birdie, and you have an older sister. And and we, we make her a part of our family because she she might be physically gone from this earth, but her little spirit, I believe is eternal and it's not gone. And I feel her. I feel her so many times. I just, Mm -hmm. I feel her joy. I, I feel her. And I, so if you think that, oh, it's gone forever and I, and it's hopeless, then a lot of times you get lost in that. And I, I don't think that there, I, I, I've, you know, I've felt her too many times and sometimes she'll just encourage me yeah, say this mom, especially when I, I'm teaching people to end their suffering. I just feel, feel her little mm-hmm. spirit cheering me on. And people might think that's whatever. And I'm making it up, but I don't care. It's great for the healing. <laughs> no, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, I had an older brother who lived 11 hours oh. and it's part of my story. It's part of my family. And there's not a birthday of his that goes by that we don't talk about him yes. or that I don't acknowledge that with my mom. And I would talk about him as if I knew him and I was born after him. Mm -hmm. And I think about those moments. And, you know, when I'm young, I'm sure the same thing people would discount it as like, oh, well, you've been told this story. So, you know, this thing. And sometimes I'm just like, maybe he's a part. I I believe he's a part of me. I agree. I came into my family right after he had left. And we are brother and sister. We're connected. And I I just really believe in that. And I, I think that that kind of energy and that kind of outlook is healthy for family yeah I think it's unhealthy to to suppress or to I mean you had children that were also present and so you you have to not only do you have to acknowledge it you like you said it's it comes from you to acknowledge it and to remember her and to not put her in a in a a non we can't talk we can't talk about this we don't discuss that category yeah we brought Mm -hmm. Moses in we thought you know what do we do like her body it's two days before she'll be cremated what do we do and my mom is a therapist and she said you know it's really healthy for the closure of the children if you bring them in and they're able to actually see the body and and see her and see that she's a real person and say goodbye to her and you know Moses was two but we were like do you want to come meet your baby sister and you know of course she was we would have to go to the funeral home and They'd get her body out. She, we dressed her in something pretty, and he'd come in and he'd drive his monster trucks all over. And, you know, we had this mm. beautiful healing time as our family where he's like, This is my sister. 
and he's got pictures with her and and it was a and then we said buddy it's time to say goodbye you know and so he will always yeah. have that and i think it was very healing to bring him in that process as well and not exclude him because he's too small you know he's going to feel it anyway he's going to feel the burden and the weight of it anyway we might as well bring him into it yeah. let him have his own grieving process yeah well like Lara just said it's it's his story too yeah. you know he, it is part of him too and i think that kids it's especially when it happens when they're young you know my son was 4 moses was 2 you know, they may be young, but they are so perceptive and so they perceptive. understand <laughs> so much more than we give them credit for. And then there's this kind of what I'm experiencing four years later is there's kind of this like what feels like is going to be a lifelong journey of all these different layers, just like I experience my son is experiencing. And every it seems like every six months or so, there's like a different layer there's a different way that he's thinking about it or different kinds of questions he's asking or different you know for a while like you know that one of the more more recent iterations has been um my son has been talking about Rowan almost like he's like an imaginary brother and Mm. then he's been adding these other imaginary siblings and he's kind of like created this cohort of like Rowan's not alone in in his you know, in, I mean, he's with us, but he's not alone in the, in being the only one that's not physically with us. He's like sort of creating this, like this, like invisible family for Rowan. It's, it's just wow. such an interesting layer to it that I, I would never have expected him to do that. I would never have, you know, there aren't any books that say this is what your kid will experience. Right. And, and he may, you know, like they all do it differently, but it's just, it's, it's, it's his own grief. It's his own process and there are times where he'll say to me like you know he he as a family we've been so open about it so he is also open about it with his you know friends and stuff like that and and a few months ago he came home from school and he said mom the next time we see you know so and so from school can you please tell them that I do have a brother (laughs) you know and it broke my heart like it's just like so present for him you know yeah yeah Okay, so now for a short break for a word about this week's sponsor. When we get back, Krista is going to talk more about how her other children have processed the loss of Goldie and how they talk about grief as a family. This week's episode is brought to you by Whirlwind Bags. Whirlwind is an amazing new line of handmade backpack-style diaper bags designed by parents for parents. These bags are so stylish and simple, made here in the Pacific Northwest from 100% cotton canvas and genuine leather, and they come in three gorgeous colors. I got my hands on one just a few weeks ago, and I absolutely love it. The compartments themselves are really streamlined, which makes it easy to customize to however you use a diaper bag, and it has some really mom-friendly features like a pocket for easy wipes access and a water-resistant changing pad. I personally find the bag so light and comfortable to wear, which is a really big deal for me. Another thing I love is how stylish and flexible these bags are. It makes it so easy to keep using it when your baby moves out of the diaper stage and you just need to haul around books or snacks or even maybe just use it for yourself. It really doesn't even look like a diaper bag. Whirlwind is also offering a special discount exclusively for Mother Birth listeners. If you purchase a bag before the end of the day on Wednesday, October 25th, 2017, you will get 10% off your order and free shipping by using the code MOTHERBIRTH10. Head over to motherbirth.co slash whirlwind to pick your favorite. Now, let's get back into our episode. How do your younger kids, like, how do they talk about Goldie? Um, Birdie's 
just two in a couple months. So we talk about her and she, she doesn't really get it, you know, and we'll say, yeah, "Yeah, she's gone on, but birdie, she's, you know, she, she died when you were little. And, and so yesterday, you know, she's playing around with concepts. So yesterday my parents left and I said, birdie, Mimi and Pablo left. She was like, they died. And I'm like, Oh no. You know, so we're still working on it with her, (laughs) you know, learning the concepts. But Moses is very, you know, he talks about death a lot and it's not, I'm like, what a gift. Death is not a scary thing to you. It's, it's not, he's like, yeah, she's dead. She died. And, and she, I feel her and he does. And you know, it's just not that big of a deal for him. He really gets the cycle of life, of death and life. And, you know, I think it's going to be very healthy for him. He doesn't have a lot of fear of dying, which he talks about it a lot. He's like, I, I'm okay dying. He's like, Mom, I think I'm going to die when you die. I'm like, okay, well, buddy, let's talk about that when you get older. But yeah, I think you might reframe yeah. that. But yeah, he's got a very healthy outlook on the cycle of death and life. That's That's so important. And I think, I mean, this is something we've talked about many times on the show and a conversation Laura and I've had so many times over the years, but like we're so disconnected from death in our culture. You know, we don't in, you know, North American culture, we don't have any like really visible or tangible like connections or cues about the, you know, the process of death. And I think that it, it is a gift for our kids to have this access point and, and not that we would ever say like we're grateful it happened because our because now look at what our kids get but it's it is an access point to this different level of understanding that is is so rare in our right. culture now and it's it is a beautiful thing yeah yeah and I think we also just really want to take the opportunity for you to share how your community supported you and what was really helpful and what was maybe not mm-hmm. so helpful for you in that time <laughs> Oh, people get so uncomfortable with your pain when they are not comfortable with their own pain. Mm -hmm, And we really had to, we put up some really very stiff boundaries in order to protect ourselves from people who they really do mean well, but they, they think that you want answers and you don't need answers. You need a casserole, you know, you do, you, you need a meal and a hug and then they leave and uh, or some flowers and you know we were in kind of a my dad's a pastor and we were um you know in their community and they're such beautiful people and most people were amazing there were just a few that you're like what are you saying you know like mm-hmm. oh god takes the best ones to be his angels and um he he chose you honey because you you, he knew how strong you were it's like what are you what are you talking about you know and they just the comments are or or my favorite one was i know exactly how you feel my my cat just died (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i always tell i'm like okay please just be quiet um so i always (laughs) tell people you know when somebody's gone through like an infant loss or just a loss in general but especially infant loss um they don't, Brene Brown has a beautiful little, um, uh, cartoon that describes the difference between sympathy and empathy and sympathy is like, you fall in the hole and you're hurting and people, sympathy is like, I'm looking down the hole and being like, let me tell you what's wrong with your problem. Let me give you some advice. And, and empathy is portrayed as this bear that crawls down in the hole with you and just sits with you in the rain while you cry. 
doesn't have the answers, doesn't try to give you any advice, just is with you in your pain. And, you know, if somebody's dealt with loss, but especially infant loss, they really need to know that they're not alone. Mm. And so like a text, just a text, like I'm thinking about you, I love you. And, and, and do not press for a reply. Every ounce of energy of someone who's lost a child has to be preserved for literally surviving because you're in yes. hell. And then maybe making your child a meal for the day. I mean, it is so, it's like an elephant is sitting on you at every moment and you want to die. And, mm. you know, casseroles, meal trains, um, like at the, at her memorial service, you know, I advised a friend recently who lost her daughter or her son. I said, usher out from the back, have the memorial and then usher right back out. Don't people will come up and that's when the stingers happen. When people want to tell you something yes. or, Oh my. And then they when want they to have tell a chance you their for a story. one-liner. Yes. Or they, they want to yeah. use it as an opportunity to share their loss story. And you're like, this is not the time. This is about my yeah. son, my daughter, my grief. Don't, don't try to tell me about your pain. And I tell people put up very strict boundaries around protecting your healing and your process of grieving, especially in the first month. Mm. Mm. I love that. That's so good. I think it's, it, like you said, people are so well-meaning. They just, they just don't, they just don't have a clue. And I think that, you know, having these conversations is why it, it's so important for this very reason. Cause I think that so many people actually do want to be able to be there for you the way that you need. They yeah. just don't know they don't how, know how. You know, yeah. if, we're, if we invite them into our grief, if we give them these, these cues and these clues as to like what will actually aid in our healing process and aid in our, you know, our, our presence in our grief, then, then we can actually get somewhere as a community or as a culture where we, we have, you know, invited people into that with us. Right. Totally. I mean, I remember when Melissa lost Rowan, I called my mom and mm -hmm. I said, what do I do? What did people do for you that was great? And what, do you, what did they do that was awful? And her biggest piece of advice from her own personal loss was to ask about the baby. Oh, yeah. She was like, ask yeah. about Rowan. Yeah. And like, especially because I am a labor and delivery nurse and I have cared for women who've had loss and, and I've held babies that have passed away and not a lot of people have space for that. Mm. And so my mom was like, I wish someone had asked me what he looked like. Yeah. Or asked me if he looked like me or your dad or ask, you know, like all the things that you would ask of any mother. What was what was your labor like? How are you feeling? How are you healing? She said all she wanted to be was treated like a mother. Yeah. But people just got quiet. Yeah. And never asked about him. They never asked about John David. They asked how my parents were doing or how my sister was doing. But they almost acted like he didn't exist. Yeah. I had because uh, Goldie was, you know, deformed. I mean, it was painful to look at her pictures. And I, my friends didn't even want to see the pictures. And it was like, oh, but I want to share her with the world, you know. Yeah. I want to yes. shout it from mm -hmm. the rooftops and let everybody see how beautiful she is. And so 
Yeah. yeah, that's a really, I love what your mom said because you do, yeah. you're like, she's still my daughter and I want to show her off for my son and I want to show him off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this day, I think the things that feel the most meaningful to me from my community is when, you know, someone isn't just remembering my pain, but they're remembering my son, Yeah. you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Would you, if there's anything that you would say to moms who are listening to this, you know, not everybody listening to this episode is going to have experienced loss, but many, many have, and many, you know, will, will hear of this episode because of the, you know, the topic that we're talking about. If there's one thing that you could say to mothers, what would that be if they, if they are experiencing a loss or if they are helping support someone through a time like this? Uh, my biggest advice is to feel all the feels. Don't be afraid of the pain. Don't be afraid of the agony. Um, you're going to feel it anyway, even if you resist feeling it, and it will stay inside of you. It'll stay inside of your soul, and it'll slowly drain the life from you. It'll stay inside of your body, and it will cripple you. Um, the greatest advice I can give anybody who's experienced infant loss or has a pregnancy that they found out that their child has something wrong Make sure every day you roll into that agony and you, you feel it out because it is. You resisting it doesn't make it go away. Feel it out. Breathe into it until you find that release of peace. Because when you're present mm -hmm. in the midst of your pain, you get in the present moment. And that's where miracles happen. And there's, I always would say, me rolling into the pain, it was kind of like this massive hot air balloon. And it just took me being present with myself and how I really felt every single day for a little bit more of that air to seep out of that balloon until it, it totally went out of my body. It was out of my heart. So when I was pregnant with Birdie, there was literally no fear. I had no fear, mm -hmm. none. I had, I had healed from the trauma and I had let it make me. Fire will either make you or break you. I had let that fire make me into the best version mm -hmm. that I possibly could be at that time. And it did not affect my future children. And that would be my, my biggest advice is let yourself grieve well. Yeah. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Krista, would you um, also just tell our listeners a little bit about, I know you have um, an online course that you offer and you wrote a book. Would you just tell us a little bit about those so we can share those in our show notes and people can find them? Sure. Um, Heart Made Whole is the book that I, I have written about my process with Goldie and mm -hmm. my process of healing and how I did what I just told you to do. I was present and went into the pain. Um, and then I have a master heart course that launches, uh, very soon. And, um, it is a six week in-depth course of how to turn your internal home, the heart of your home into the home of your dreams. We always try to find mm -hmm. externals to satisfy us or make us happy or make us feel safe. And you'll never feel safe in the external world until you're safe inside of yourself. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you so for, much, Krista. Yeah. Yeah. We loved hearing your story. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Breast is a personal podcast created by Lara and Lisa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.